The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent us both, ruler and redeemer, by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing the wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise you up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the, con- with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, who led us out from that land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices? During the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel, you took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, images you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before their fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found in favor the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made of hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place? What is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for another chance to come together as a family, uh, just to worship you to learn more about who you are and what you have in store for us, God. Um, we pray now, as Randall brings this message, that you would just speak to us uh, through the words of Stephen. Um, God, we thank you that you can use anybody, Lord, even this the guy who thought he was just going to be uh, passing out food. <laughs> that was his thing. Uh, but God, you used him in a mighty way, and now we're reading about him now. Um, so we thank you that you uh, are just going to show us now what it is to puts you above uh, anything else. Father, uh, let us really see what idols we have in our hearts and put those before you, give back to you, God. So now we just pray you a blessed this day. We thank you in your name. Amen. Good morning. It's great to see everybody today. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall, the pastor of Grace City. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue in the book of Acts. And so, again, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Thank you for uh, reading that, Ricardo. Um, long passage here. What we've talked about is that this section in particular is a sermon that was given by Stephen, who, uh, Stephen, if you're just jumping in with us, was set aside basically to wait tables. Um, you know, the leadership in the kingdom of God is not raise yourself up to these positions of power and authority and prestige, but really it's to lower yourself and to serve. And what we saw is that that same thing that was in the life of Jesus when he said leadership is about lowering yourself 
is now playing out in the life of Stephen. But Stephen also um, is brought to this place where he's asked a lot of questions about the things that he believed, the things that he said were true. And, and what he believed was that Jesus wasn't just some man who came, but, but is, is God. And he's proclaiming that to uh, anyone who, who, who he could come in contact with. And it got him in a lot of trouble. It got him in a lot of trouble. And so our text today is Acts 7, 35 through 50. And as I said, Stephen is in the middle of this sermon. So again, we're just jumping into the middle of this sermon that he's giving here. And today's message is entitled, Jesus Over Idols. Jesus Over Idols. Now, it's important for us to ask the question, what are idols? I remember in the early 2000s, I took this mission trip overseas with crew. At the time, it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. And so we went on this mission, mission trip. And, and I remember thinking, as I was in this other country, I can physically see man-made idols being worshipped all around me. Now, fast forward a decade later, and, and I was sitting with a missionary from another country. And they said to me, how do you live with so many idols around you? And I remember thinking to myself, what do you mean? What idols? What he saw was that in our culture, we worship things around us, man-made things. And we just kind of take it for granted. That's just how things are. And for me, when I went to another part of the world and saw man-made created things, I thought to myself, oh, wow, th this, I, I can see worship happening. But me and my culture, it was hard for me to see it. It's all around me. And so a, a working definition for an idol can be this. Uh, given by Timothy Keller, he says, an idol then is anything more fundamental than God to our happiness, meaning in life, and identity. It is making a good thing into an ultimate thing. Idolatry is the inordinate desire of even something good. Idol, idols are not only personal and individual, they're also corporate and cultural. Different societies can make into ultimate values things like the family or feelings or the state or racial superiority or rationality or individual will and experience or group identity. You see, the word idol can be encompassed by a lot of things, but it's everything other than what God is worthy of, his worship, his, the, the focus, the attention, the glory. See, we can give those things to other, other objects and, and people. And so our text today, Acts 7, 35 through 50, what is Stephen addressing here as he's preaching this message before the rulers of the days, the Sanhedrin? What was he preaching to? He was preaching to them about their idols. Their idols. The things that they had lifted up and put more faith in than the God that they proclaimed. And Jesus did the same thing when he spoke to these religious leaders. You see, last week we talked about Abraham. And here's what Jesus said about Abraham. 
And I think this will hit us. This will help us to understand this. But here's what Jesus said to these same religious leaders about Abraham in John 8, 58 through 59. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What Jesus is saying is, I'm greater than Abraham. That's what he's saying here. And look at what they, how they responded. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What was Jesus doing? He was confronting an idol. What happens when idols are confronted? Anger, rage, wanting to control the situation. See, at this point, the listeners put more faith in Abraham than they did in God. And they were ready to kill Jesus. Remember, God incarnate, they were ready to kill God incarnate over him, saying that he was better than Abraham. And so how does Stephen confront the idols of his day as he's speaking to this group of religious leaders? Well, he gives a history lesson in the life of Moses. So last week we looked at the history lesson of Abraham. This week we're looking at Moses. And he reveals three insights. And these are really important things for us today. And so if you're taking notes, here's what they are. Number one, he gives a gracious glimpse. Number two, a collective denial. And three, an unhindered God. A gracious glimpse, a collective denial, an unhindered God. So the first one, a gracious glimpse found in verses 35 through 38 as we break it down. Look at what it says. It says, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you ruler and a judge? So if we read a little bit about the story of Moses, what was happening here in this sermon, we've kind of skipped down a little bit. But Stephen here was giving a history lesson on Moses. How did Moses become who he was? And gets to the point where he's the leader. He's leading them out of Egypt, right? He's leading them through the wilderness, and they wanted to reject him. So they, they were asking this question, who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Now again, What's happening here? Well, Stephen is retracing the life of Moses. This is a lot of the chunk of Exodus 1 through 15. If you want to read that, I encourage you to do that. But they said at the very beginning, and really what the problem was that they had with Stephen was, you don't really respect Moses. You don't really have a high regard for Moses. And so they were like bringing this charge against Stephen, really upset about that. But Stephen shows step by step how the story wasn't about Moses, it was about God. This was God's story. And so, verse 35, he says, this Moses, he, now he just talked about how 
the Pharaoh forgot about Joseph, and then Moses was born. And all of the, 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 the boy children were meant to be killed. But there's this whole thing where Moses survived. And if you trace back through Moses' life, here's the thing. It's a history of God's grace. It's a history of God's protection. Here's the thing. Moses shouldn't have been alive. Just read through this little section here, but again, read in Exodus 1 through 15. Moses shouldn't have been alive. But God supernaturally saved Moses and protected him. Here's the thing we need to understand about God. Here's the thing we need to understand about his work in the world. Is that we don't save ourselves. That's the whole message of Christianity. It's that you and I are protected in a way that's really beyond what we could have ever done. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, a a gospel which isn't supernatural, miraculous, is useless. It's nothing but a human philosophy, a human model system. It has no value whatsoever. But the gospel, thank God, is miraculous, divine, and supernatural from beginning to end. And what we've seen is that it provides a miraculous salvation. What do we see in the life of Moses? God miraculously saves Moses to the point where he shouldn't have even been alive. And how did God work through Moses? Well, look at verses 35 through 36. This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. See, what was God doing? He was working graciously through this man, Moses, again and again and again, wonders and signs. And all of this was this gracious glimpse to the Israelites that God was at work. That, 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 this shouldn't have pointed to Moses. This should have pointed to God. But time and time again, they, they didn't want God. They wanted something else. God was graciously coming in and intervening in their life. And what do we see next? Well, we see this collective denial that happens. Look at verses 39 through 41. Our fathers refused to obey him. Talking about Moses. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of, uh, from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. They were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Now, verse 39 says that they, here's what the, the, the fathers, it says, refuse to obey him. This Moses that you're lifting up, refuse to obey him, thrust him aside. In their hearts, they turned to Egypt. See, the people of Israel had experienced grace 
salvation, like miraculous salvation, right? The Remember the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, walking through salvation. They experienced this. Miracles and wonders and still refused to obey, thrust them aside, and their hearts turned to Egypt. And what did they start to do? They started to idolize the past. Wasn't the past so great? You know, remember Egypt? Where we like live in this, like, wasn't that so great? That's better than what Moses is leading us into. It's better than trusting God. <laughs> Come on, like, like, remember Egypt? See, why is this so important for us to hear today? Well, the previous generation at this time continually rejected the physical representation of God, the representative of God, right? They rejected Moses. But here's the thing. The leaders at the time, they rejected the physical manifestation of God, Jesus. Jesus. You see, what did Egypt represent? It represented a rejection of the invisible God who was present with them towards something that they could see and create with their own hands. Now, here's the thing we need to understand. We do this all the time. Right? Like, we want to distance ourselves from this and be like, well, we don't, we don't really do that. But actually, we do it all the time. See, we must ask, what is this bringing out? What it's bringing out is the same collective denial of God in our lives that we see right here in these leaders. It's calling out the fakeness that's inside of us where we want to worship things other than God. Romans 1, 18 through 21 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. Like, I know what the truth is, but I suppress it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, this is very relevant for us. How do we do this? How, what's a practical way to do this? Well, there's an author by the name of David Foster Wallace. And in 2005, he gave this commencement speech at Kenyon College. Not too long later, he took his own life. But here's what he said. He says this in his speech. Brilliant guy. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. Again, he's not a Christian. <laughs> says, the only choice we get is what we worship. And, and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, you will then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, 
you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Do you see how this plays into our lives? We might not make these little idols out of something, but we do in our lives. We worship them. And the thing is that we see here in this text is that the the structure, the religious structure, the way that things were, these leaders weren't worshiping God. They were worshiping their own power. They were worshiping, elevating themselves and trying to keep control. That's what they worshiped. That's what they wanted. They wanted control. But God is saying, I'm above that. I'm greater than these little idols and these little things that you're trying to worship. And even this power structure that you set up to be all about you. Because lastly, what do we see? An unhindered God. Look at verses 42, 43, and then we'll go down to 40 through 50. 42 through 43. But, but God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 days in the wilderness? O house of Israel, you took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Verse 48, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? As Stephen is preaching this message, where does he end? He ends with this. You're so worried about the temple You're so worried about the traditions of Moses. You're so worried about the past that you've missed the God that's right in front of you. You want Egypt? You can have Egypt. You want those ways? We'll give you over those ways. You see, what is the scariest thing? that could happen in our lives. It's that God would hand us over to what we thought we actually wanted. What we thought we actually wanted. He, he hands us over to that. That is the scariest thing. Because it's in that place that we thought we wanted that thing that we find it's not what it, we thought it was going to be the whole time. And then we see this God who shows himself for who he truly is, God Most High. Look at verse 49. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Here's the thing. David was, um, as he talks through, through here, he says that um, 
David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but then Solomon built the house for him. And, and, and God is, is saying, you don't need to do that for me. You don't need to do that for me. Because what place is going to be able to hold the presence of God? What, what place is going to be able to contain God? Do you know the problem with the Pharisees? And this is why they needed to hear this. As much as they thought they had control on other people, they thought they had control on God. They thought they could control God. God, you got to stay in the temple. <laughs> you got to stay in this building that we built for you. You, you got to stay there. They thought they could keep God in the temple. But God is an unhindered God. God is far greater. God says, the earth is my footstool. Heaven is my throne. F.F. Bruce, who's a commentator, says, the gods of the heathen might be accommodated in material shrines, but not so God most high. The contrast between the terms made with hands and not made with hands is a prominent feature which runs through the New Testament and early Christian apologetics about verse 49 that we just read here. Do you think they can make God stay put in a golden cage? We think that we can control God? See, isn't that like the ultimate point of feeling like we've created God instead of being created by God? Right, it's been said before, like, that we are made in God's image, but we've been trying to make him in our image ever since. And yet we see these leaders who have done that. They've gotten to this point where they thought they could control the living God, but God is unhindered. And that's what Stephen is preaching here. And what we're going to see next week is the leaders are furious. They are furious. The response is going to be the same, much like what we saw with them picking up stones ready to kill Jesus. That's what's going to happen to Stephen. And we'll look at that next week. But here's what we need to ask today. How can we apply this to our personal lives? Where are the idols that are in our lives? That, that Jesus is greater than these idols. And so we're going to really take this into the heart. So the first one is this. Think. Okay, let's think together. In what ways has God graciously brought you to where you are today? How has God graciously brought you to where you are today? What are the moments you say, I shouldn't be here, but God? I shouldn't be here. Here's all the places where God saved me time and time again. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Here's the thing. When people ask, like, what's the story of Grace City? It's such a, a, a really important thing because a lot of 
my life, my family's life is kind of tied up into it because, you know, it was like six years of our lives. Being here in this community, seeing what God's done. And here's what I, I was, Brooke was asking this week. Um, like, what's some of the stories of Grace City? And I said, the only way we're here is because of God. And so it was like story after story after story after story where I'm like, we shouldn't be here. But you know who kept us here? God did. And I've seen that in my personal life too. Time and time again, where it's like, it doesn't make sense. And so let me ask, do you have those moments where you look back and you say, you know what? This should have happened, but God came through. John Bloom said, but God, these two words are overflowing with gospel for sinners like you and me who are lost and completely unable to save ourselves from our dead set rebellion against God, there may not be two more hopeful words that we could utter. And I was on my own path doing my own thing, but God saved me and set me on a new path. I, was, I didn't even realize the idols that I was worshiping that was taking me in this direction, but God what are those things in your life? Think about that. That brought you here today. Next, examine what idols have you chosen to take precedence in your life? See, these things are very sneaky. They come up all the time. One writer says, the most basic question which God continually possesses or poses to each Human heart, has something or someone besides Jesus, the Christ, taken title to your heart's trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? It is a question bearing on the immediate motivation of one's behavior, thoughts, and feelings. In the Bible's conceptualization, the motivation question is the lordship question. Who or what rules my behavior, the Lord or an idol? Right? What is it that rules my life? Am I bound by fear of something or someone? Am I trusting and, and, and trying to, to seek loyalty or service from something or someone? Is that where my delight is at? Right? It's subtle. It's subtle. This is silly, but last night I was watching a, 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 a basketball game. And I don't know why, but I'm an Indiana Pacers fan. And we stink. We're not good. Right? Like, I, I've, for years, I'm like, we're never going to win a championship. But I just watch all the time. And you know what? I, I, I was, like, sitting there, finding myself just grumbling. And we were winning. Surprisingly, we were winning. But I was just grumbling to myself. And I was like, if we lose this game... I'm going to be so upset. I want to be like so mad tonight, right? Like it was the silliest thing. But to me, it was this idol that continually comes back again. And every time we lose, it's like a reminder to me. And even if we won, right? Like even if we won the championship, which I don't see happening at all. But even if we won, what does that do for my life? 
Like, am I a better person because of that? Like, is my life improved because that, that happened? No. What is that for you? That thing that you're grumbling, that you think it's just going to make your life so much better, but, but it just continues to fail you again and again and again. Right? Examine the hearts. But lastly, evaluate. Has the glory of God captured your imagination? Here's the thing. Have you thought about how God is not like you and me? How his ways are holy? How when Stephen is speaking about God here and he's looking at these men who who built their life around what they thought was God, but yet they killed him? Right? At their own hand, they killed him? That, that as he's looking at them, telling them about this God, they're thinking in their minds, I already know. I already know all this. Come on, you're just reminding me of all these things I know. I already know that Bible passage. I know all this stuff. They weren't in awe. They were, they're filled with anger. How many of us live like that where we're just, I already know that. I already know all this stuff. Has God captured your imagination? Because Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Visual illustration right here. Look at the ground. Everybody look at the ground. We're looking at the ground. Look at the ground. Now look up. Look in the sky. We have the ability to look up in the sky. Okay, that's how far you and I are from God's thoughts and our ways from his ways. Right there. Now let that capture your imagination to, to know that God, like as, as good as we think we are, look at the ground, look up. All right, Lord, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. Because here's the end. Ultimately, What's going to melt in, or what's going to melt our hardened hearts? What's going to melt it? Is it is just looking at the ground and looking up and saying, okay, God, you're higher than I am? No. It's when you look up and you see the one that built and created the heavens and the earth came down, became a carpenter, lived a perfect life and says this in Luke 24, 39 through 40. See my hands and my feet that it is myself. Touch me and see for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. It's when you know that the creator of the universe, the one whose hands formed Everything around us said, here's my hands. Drive the nails through them. Why? Because my creation has rebelled against me. Drive those nails through my hands. Not their hands, my hands. What idol is going to do that for you? No idol. 
Only the creator. Only Jesus. Why do you do it? He did it because he loves us. And so will our hearts melt as we think upon what our creator and what his hands have done for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the great gift of knowing, of knowing that you've met us in, in our rebellion and you said, I, I, I will sacrifice everything for you because I love you. The one who we could have never built a building for as high as the heavens, Lord, you are above us, yet you came to be with us. May that gospel truth hit our hearts, Lord. May we see that you love us so much that you would die for us. Thank you that you rose from the dead and that this is true. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.